Welcome to Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. Our world is increasingly complex, fast-paced, and divided. How are people of faith bringing their best selves to the world each day? How are we leading, growing, and being as people of God? Ing Podcast is a place to share insights and stories from individuals creatively engaging the present and moving into the future. On today's episode, we're joined by Dr. Drew Hart, church anti-racism leader, social change practitioner, author, and theology professor at Messiah College. In Harrisburg, everybody knows I'm a follower of Jesus. That's not a hidden secret, right? Um, and yet I still get invited by uh, Muslims and Jewish, all, a whole wide range of folks, and even non-Christian. I mean, I spoke at one of the local Black Lives Matter events, right? Why? They know who I am as a follower of Jesus. And that shows up even in my talks. Um, I come fully as I am everywhere I go. I mean, I think for me, it's an opportunity to bring my faith fully on display in the public square, right? I mean, isn't that, I mean, that's the whole idea of bearing witness, right? How do we bear witness to the God that we serve and to the Jesus who we follow in the public square for all the world to see um, what our faith is really all about? Dr. Hart will be talking with us about our cultural moment in time and reflecting on themes from his new book, Who Will Be a Witness? Igniting Activism for God's Justice, Love, and Deliverance. Dr. Hart is joined by one of the hosts of Ing Podcast, Reverend Dr. Dennis Edwards. Welcome to the Ing Podcast. We're really glad to have you with us. And I am very excited that today I'm honored to have a conversation with Drew Hart. Uh, Drew, thank you for being here. Uh, Dennis, I've been looking forward to this. Thank you for having me. I'm hoping that for people who might not know you yet or know you that well, if you could just share a bit about your journey, that could be personal, academic, professional, whatever you feel free to share. I guess um, one thing to know about me is I'm a Pennsylvania boy. <laughs> I really am. <laughs> um, I've kind of bounced back and forth between Philly and Harrisburg for most of my okay. life. All right. So born in, and raised in the Philly area in, in a community called Norristown, Pennsylvania, and um, then in the suburbs of Philly for about three years, for my last three years of high school, and then went to Messiah College in Central PA, then moved into Harrisburg, um, did ministry. Actually, my first pastoral ministry at it was a, my first connection with an Anabaptist community was um, Harrisburg Brethren in Christ Church. I was a youth pastor there for three and a half right. years. Right. Um, moved back to Philly again, back in the black church, back into um, the Philly worlds and continued to do pastoral ministry. I um, By that point, I got married, had my first child. Then I began seminary, did an MDiv with an urban concentration at now it's called Missio Seminary. Oh, yeah. And then let's see, after that, um, made the strange turn towards academic work, which was never on my mind, never a plan initially, <laughs> uh, but it was something kind of imposed. I got the seed from professors. All right. And so, um, so I ended up going to Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia and um, just exploring themes around Black theology and Anabaptism and how they help us think through issues around Christendom and white supremacy, colonialism, all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, and then after that, found myself back in Harrisburg again because Messiah College, uh, or now Messiah University, uh, right. recruited me to um, come back. And so I'm teaching in the same department alongside some fellow colleagues. And so uh, now I have a family of, it's me and Renee, and then three boys 
Micah, wow. Dietrich, and Vincent since our youngest is three years old. Yeah. Oh, my. Oh, my. Yep. Well, you've got your hands full. There, there's a lot that I'm excited about in the book. I'll just be honest with you. I mean, and, uh, and, that, and I'm a New Testament scholar as well as having been a pastor. So I'm trying to keep my, uh, my voice, even as I get older here, I want to keep on raising my voice here and encouraged by uh, younger folks like you. Um, who are doing the same thing because there is a different witness, man. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's that's what you're saying in the book uh, and in so many places. If you think again about some of the sayings of Jesus, like when he weeps over Jerusalem, if only they had known the things that make for peace, right? That's right. That's right. Um, it's about how do we get to where we're going? They, they have different plans in terms of how they're getting to where they're going. But in many ways, they share a lot in common. And, and I think that uh, one of the things hopefully people will see is, I will refuse to allow um, our reading of this to miss that Jesus is empathetic towards, you know, the Barabbases and what they're doing. Uh, he laments the end of what's going to happen in terms of the destruction of Jerusalem. And so for us, we can't uh, be apathetically critiquing those who are going to go about it different ways than we believe Jesus is calling us into. Um, and at the same time, those who are committed to peace and peacemaking shouldn't be doing it from the sidelines. Jesus, he heads straight for Jerusalem, right? He's right in the midst of it. Yeah. And so this is not a hands-off distance, safe pacifism, right? Um, this is a right. messy, in right. the mix of things, liberation and participating in God's deliverance um, by confronting the establishment um, nonviolently and creatively. Wow. Oh, man, that's awesome. I just, yeah, I think uh, folks would do well to read that chapter and, and not rush through it because... Um, it's, there's a lot that's in there that's rich, and and certainly there is the symbolism. You mentioned it. Bar Abbas means son of the father. Yep, yeah, son and of right. The father. And, and you've got a, a manuscript that has Jesus. Um, there, so there's clearly a contrast that's being made. But but it's um, but there's but what you say about the uh, the desire for peace, the desire for justice, this is right there. And sometimes we tend to over-spiritualize these things. So I, I, I really appreciate what you're, what you're doing there. But let's keep talking about this activism. I, um, yeah. you, this is a, a theme in your book. And now I'm old enough to remember, <laughs> while giving away my age, but I'm old enough to remember protests against the Vietnam War, mm. against uh, par- apartheid in South Africa, against yeah. police brutality, of course, mm. for decades, a right. lot of other injustices. And then I've watched, uh, not, to, not to make too much of white evangelicalism again, but I've seen conservative Christians protest uh, abortion rights and and now protests uh, against wearing face masks during a, a pandemic, but they were generally silent on those other issues. And that's right. And, and that's the way I've seen it. So I'm kind of curious. How do you uh, see the church engaging itself in the face of injustice? Are there things that? Uh, well, I guess I want to say when and how. That's really what I'm getting at. Like. When do we raise our voices? How do we raise our voices? And uh, and is there a fear of getting involved in uh, working for justice when you're rubbing shoulders with people who aren't Jesus followers? Yeah. Um, so for the when and how question, I mean, I think that mm-hmm. for the church, I mean, we we should be committed to God's shalom and God's dream for us always, right? Um, mm-hmm. I think that that's... Yeah. And so, but the question is... Uh, are we doing the work to get a glimpse of God's dream for us, of what God desires for all creation? Um, Because then we'll have a sense of when we need to act. I think right now, 
how people act is deeply um, shaped by the, just the corrosive partisan politics of our moments, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah. that, I mean, so as you mentioned, like some folks, they'll be out there protesting for abortion um, and then nothing else. And it's pretty mm-hmm. obvious that at that point, you know, their political imagination is completely captive to, in this case, the Republican Party, right? Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. I'll be fair, uh, just to, to be honest, like sometimes um, on the left, right? Uh, even though yeah, yeah. many can be captive to certain things without, it's almost like the platform is deciding what we care about um, yeah, and not God's yeah. dream for shalom for all of creation as the end goal. And so I think we have to have a more robust vision, first of all, of what God is desiring of us that we're not just um, getting tossed back to and forward from the different campaign uh, platforms mm-hmm. that elites hand to us, that come prepackaged to us, right? Wow. So I think that that's wow. a part of the, the issue. Yeah. What about protesting when with people who aren't Jesus followers? Because you know, some Christians get worked up uh, over BLM right. or they get worked right. up over stuff and say, how could you be with those people? That kind of right. stuff. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty interesting that um, now, of course, they were all Jewish in Jesus's day. But I mean, he is running with he's got folks in his crew that are revolutionaries that literally, as I talk about in the Barabbas chapter, when the time comes and the soldiers come, they're all pulling their swords out. Right. (laughs) Um, And he's got others who at least were formerly tax collectors in his crew. Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm -hmm. so there's a pretty interesting way in which he's bringing people together not in the, a neutral way of just for the sake of bringing people together. I mean, literally, he wants to bring them all in into a new way of life, a new reign. Mm. But yeah. they haven't gotten that yet. Um, and yet he still works with them. And I think that that is at least a starting point for us to see the need for collaboration, for partnership, for meeting yeah. at points of agreement. Um, and I think that if our vision is for the good of society, I mean, we talk about common good, right, as Christians yeah. sometimes. Yeah. That's right. Um, if that is something, if we care about the flourishing of all people and believe that God's reign has to do with the flourishing of all people, um, then it's going to include us working with everybody um, and our our different faiths. We live in an extremely pluralistic society. And yeah. for the mutual benefit of everybody, we've got to learn how to get along, how to understand one another, how to talk, just have in-depth, real, meaningful conversations where we listen and speak and hear one another in meaningful ways and link arms together in solidarity for things that are for the betterment of, of all people. So I certainly, in my own life, um, I mean, I do quite a bit, especially on the organizing side of things. Yeah. I collaborate all the time with Muslims and Jews and non-Christians, mm-hmm. right, along with Christians. And a lot of my work is centered around faith-based and a particularly Christian-based work yeah. um, in terms yeah. of justice. But I collaborate with all sorts of folks um, and they collaborate with me, right? And I'm grateful um, that they are willing to do that and that I encourage others to do that as well because um, that is us leaning into the shalom and the well-being that we're called to, the flourishing of all people in our communities where we can all thrive even in the midst of our differences. Wow, I really appreciate that. I I, I recall when um, I was a pastor in Minneapolis and uh, when Jamar Clark was shot, we our church was meeting just a few blocks away from there. And uh uh, so there was a, there were a lot of Black Lives Matter protests, and uh, street was shut down by the precinct and all. And several of us clergy tried to be there as much as we can. And then somebody put it this way: that we were sort of chaplains to the movement, because while you had some people fussing about the movement itself, BLM, I mean, uh, right. and 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 should Christians be involved in such things, that we felt like 
we should be there and and yeah. and we, and our faith wasn't at all compromised by by uh decrying injustice and asking and demanding in fact justice um so i like the way you just said that you can be uh, alongside those who have different uh perspectives uh, different faith practices but it doesn't compromise who you are. You're Absolutely. bringing your witness to it. Yeah. I mean, I think for me, it's an opportunity to bring my faith fully on display in the public square, right? Yeah, I mean, isn't that, yeah. I mean, that's the whole idea of bearing witness, right? Right. How we bear witness to the God that we serve and to the Jesus who we follow in the public square for all the world to see um, what our faith is really all about. Um, and so it's precisely um, at those moments where, I mean, everybody knows, in Harrisburg, everybody knows I'm a follower of Jesus. That's not a hidden secret, right? <laughs> um, and yet I still get invited by, um, you know, uh, Muslims and Jewish, all, a whole wide range of folks and even non-Christian. I mean, I spoke at one of the local Black Lives Matter events, right? Why? Mm. They know who I am as a follower of Jesus. And that shows up even in my talks. Um, I come fully as I am everywhere I go. Um, yeah. But also not in a way that disparages who they are as people. Um, yeah. And so we can respect each other in the midst of our differences and see that we have some common interests um, that that meet together and that we can collaborate around. Oh, man. Well, I, I definitely appreciate that. I think that's a good model for us. I, I, I honestly think that Christians can stand up for what's true and what's just and what's right, What what is what we Anabaptists would call a Jesus way, without feeling like um, we're compromising. Hey, we, we, we take hits for what we believe, of course. Right. I mean, because the, the devil is opposed to what we believe. But at the same time, we don't have to feel that our uh, that we have to silence ourselves or sometimes muzzle ourselves right. as, as followers of Jesus. So true. We are both uh, educators. I'm at a seminary, North Park Theological Seminary. You're at Messiah College. What what can we do as educators to help, uh, let's say, dismantle some toxic forms of Christianity to help build us up toward the beloved community that we talk about? Um, and that's going to be uh, among people of different backgrounds. So what, what do you think are some practical ways that we can do that and how people can join in? Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's a really powerful question. I think that for me, one of the things that we have to do is realize that everyone is so deeply shaped by a story, right? Hmm. Um, and we don't always, I think, name what are, what are the stories that are driving people in, in their lives. And I think that for many folks in this country, certainly, um, a story of American exceptionalism and white supremacy are undergirding so much of their story. It, it kind of mm. makes, it, it gives them a sense of identity in the world and a place yeah. in the world. And so I think that we've got to be able to uncover um, the stories that shape people and provide them with a, well, a more truthful story, right? I think that that's some yeah. of the work that we've got to do. Yeah. I also think obviously, um, and maybe this is the more obvious answer, but um that we've got to decentralize the white Eurocentric theology that has dominated um, yeah. our theological imagination for so long, biblical scholarship for so long, and provide space yeah. for other voices, other traditions, especially from the underside that see things from a different vantage point. So I think that's right. huge. I think that it can't just be intellectual. We've got to think about embodied practice. Right. And we also have to um, think about the whole person, right? Not just mind, 
body, but also even just our hearts. <laughs> um, this yeah, is not just a yeah. rational endeavor, certainly not when we're doing theology and biblical scholarship. It shouldn't be, right? right. Um, and oh, if you man. want to do that in another field, it's fine. But, but for <laughs> theology and biblical scholarship, um, let this be yeah. something that we're fully invested in in our whole beings. And, and so those would be some of the at least initial mm. thoughts I have. Wow. Um, certainly there are other practices and best practices for reimagining curriculum and all that kind of stuff. But I think that the yeah. story, our theologies, our practices, our whole selves need to be yeah. drawn into our work. Wow. Well, I surely resonate with that. And uh, one thing I'll say as I'm as I'm getting older now and seeing um, uh, students who are studying in seminary, at least on my area at seminary, and I see younger, excited people who want to bring Christ to the masses, if you will. They want to be useful in God's kingdom. They're not looking to do church as usual for the most part. They're not yeah. looking to uphold this uh, white supremacist uh, I- idea or a white Jesus. And uh, and they're happy actually to, to learn from uh, people who don't represent that world. So I'm encouraged by that actually. So I hope to see um, more students like that. Um, so yeah, thank you for that. I, I definitely think theological education is a holistic endeavor and not just a head endeavor. I want to ask about practically what activism looks like. Now, now I've been a pastor for a lot of years, and I've been in small and larger churches over the years. And, uh, and there's a lot that's expected of pastors, so I'm very sympathetic, and, um, yeah. and, I, yeah. and I have a lot of respect. So what, what, what's some practical wisdom for leaders, especially in smaller churches, of what, um, of what activism and maybe even community development, what that might look like as they are at the same time desperately trying to shepherd people, and yeah. many of them have tremendous needs. I mean, I don't want people to be so overwhelmed that they don't do anything, but at the same right. time, I don't want them to feel like they have to do everything. So right. what, do you th- what do you think? Yeah, so one of the things that I, and, and I hit this, especially in the introduction, and then hopefully the mm-hmm. implications of it flow out, but mm-hmm. one of the things I would like to see is less of a clergy-centric way of thinking about faith-based organizing and movement mm. work, right? Mm. Um, I think that right now we kind of have this model that is really rooted in just the kind of Christendom sense in which somehow clergy have, you know, moral high grounds, right, in society. And so we do all this clergy-centric stuff and mobilizing clergy and clergy do this and that. And I, I would like to see more mobilizing of congregations yeah, and less man. putting all the work on just the clergy as if they somehow are more holier than everybody else, right? In yeah, some right. ways, <laughs> um, it denies the priesthood of all believers when yeah. we kind of orient it in such a way. And so I think that uh, in the same way, and this is a little bit different, but I do look at Acts 6 and, you know, the... Um, the um, Oh, the, the deacons there? The deacons, deacons and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And how they, the leaders, they empower the people to decide yeah. and, and discern other uh, leaders yeah. within themselves. But in the same, we could think about that in terms of externally too, right? That we, what does it mean for the clergy to not have to do all the work, but to empower the congregation to be a people of justice and mm-hmm. to be mobilized and organized and doing the work and partnering and collaborating with other folks? In fact, we don't always have to be the ones leading. Like, Often I tell, like, so one of the things, I'm a part of a group called Free Together in Harrisburg. I'm a co-leader. Hmm. And one of the things that we do, our central work is, how do we partner with the good work that's already happening? And yeah. so we're trying to get leaders and churches connected and plugged in with the work that's already happening throughout our city that's been going on. And unfortunately, too many Christians have had their head in the sand in terms of the opportunities that we have had to participate in God's justice. And so I think, yeah, I think that, 
we have to be careful that we don't just heap all these expectations on pastors as if now they have to be experts, you know, uh, organizers and mobilizers and nonviolent leaders. I mean, it'd be great if some of those skills are taught in seminary, <laughs> yeah. just some, right. just right. to orient people. And but, but I think that it's a false expectation, and it misses the pri- the primary role of the pastor if yeah. they have to be all things to all people all the time. Man, so well said, and I appreciate that. I I, I want to. Uh, echo that. I mean, here I am now getting to teach people full time. I mean, I've been adjunct for a lot of years, but but having been a pastor, I I strongly try to encourage pastors to uh, that that their job is really to help other people live into their gifts and into their calling. And and when everything becomes centered around the pastor, we lose something. It might make that person appear to be you know really great and holy and and all, which is nice, but. But I think pastors are really, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's Ephesians 4, right? We're equipping yeah. the saints to do the work of ministry. So, wow, that's really helpful. And I, hopefully it's freeing, too, for pastors. And I feel like yeah. they have to do everything. Yes. Yeah, that's really all good. All the burnout. You think about just the burnout. I mean, the pressures that pastors yeah. are often under anyway, and often yeah. feeling very isolated in the work that they're doing. To heap even that's more right. expectations is just too much. Yeah, thank you for saying that. It 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 does. It, it's burdensome. It can make folks feel guilty because they're not doing enough. I do feel a little bit funny when I see on social media people are quick to tell people if your pastor doesn't do X, then you should shouldn't be there, or or words like that. When pastors are juggling so many things, so but I don't want to make this just about the pastors. I think as you're talking, I'm hearing. Uh, yes, a freeing message for the pastors, but a real clarion call for everybody to engage yeah. in a way that raises our voices, that that puts our hands to the work. Uh, man, that's all good. Uh, well, Brother Drew, you you say so much in here. This this book is um, uh, is awesome. It resonates with me. I'm I was thumbing through your uh, chapter toward the end, even though I'm really working slowly from the beginning. But you say agape is not about sentimentality. And I say the same thing, actually, in my book, I said, I called it a sappy sentimentality when people talk about (laughs) love in some ways. So I think as I close out, I want to see if you could give us a word for the radical nature of love or how how you want to describe that. And uh, and maybe that'll leave us with something to think about um, as we move forward or try to look at what Christianity might look like as we uh, move from this moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I mean... At the center of, of Jesus' teachings is the ethic of love, to love our neighbor, to love our enemies. In fact, it's said that to love our enemies is the characteristic that makes us like our Father in heaven, which is a powerful statement from Jesus. And so um, we've got to recover what it means to actually love others. And I think that very often what we actually see is what I call in the book a love gap, um, that there's some mm. folks that we've been socialized and conditioned to not love, right? And I think wow. every group, every society, there's yeah. folks that we're taught not to love um, yeah. and that you can be apathetic towards their suffering and their hardships. And so oh in yeah. response to that, um, uh, well, number one challenge that that love needs to be broader. In fact, I, I draw on Jonah, right, as a contrast um, in terms of, yeah. well, I actually, it's confessional when I use Jonah. It's it's that I resonate with Jonah because hmm. there are some folks who I feel like they deserve what's coming to them, almost yeah, kind of thing, right? Yeah. I have oh, those no, moments. I, I have mm-hmm. those moments where like, all right, I believe in a loving God. 
but those folks, they need to get what's coming to them, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. um, and then let's, and then God, it's fair to be loving to, towards everybody else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, be unconditional otherwise. Um, and so I realized how easy it is for that to kind of creep into our hearts. And so two of the folks that have been most influential for me in tr- thinking about love is Howard Thurman and Dr. King. Yeah. Howard Thurman helps me internally see that love is not weakness, Love is not, uh, in fact, it's healing for the oppressed. It's liberative for the oppressed. Because if we start hating others, it literally is destroying and deteriorating our quality of life, right? Yeah. Um, as the oppressed. Right. And so I think that, right. that to realize the inner healing and liberation that we need and, and how love liberates us in that work is important. And then the, to see how Dr. King politicizes that outward, to see that love is the greatest weapon um, the oppressed have at their hands and that it is... Powerful, so powerful that it is able to convert an enemy into a friend, right? Um, and I think Amen. that that is really powerful Amen. to see. And 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 when you have the goal of beloved community as the end goal, um, yeah. then you you can imagine a place where even your political enemies um, they don't need to be destroyed. You just want to destroy the systems of oppression and injustice that are in society, not the people. They they can be transformed and converted and and have a place on the other side as well. And so. I think it's just a really great challenge for me personally, but I think for all of us, even in this moment where I think love gets a bad rap and I think that we don't realize its significance that if we really want to move towards beloved community, we're going to have to engage in a revolutionary love. Amen. A revolutionary love. That, that's that got to be the final word there. I um, got, got Coltrane in my head, love supreme. So mm-hmm. this is, that's good, man. Well, Drew, what what do you have going on besides all your writing and speaking and all of that? Are there any projects right now that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, well, um, I'm also, as you've kind of jumped into the uh, podcast world, I have uh, recently jumped into the podcast world as well. And so my friend, Jared McKenna from Australia, who's a peace activist and, and pastor, mm. he and I are working on a pa- podcast called Inverse Podcast. And so we actually look at scripture together with uh, a whole wide range of intriguing guests and just talk about like liberative readings of scripture and how that can kind of lead to a kind of life that seeks justice and participates in God's just in God's deliverance. And so that's been a neat thing that I've been a part of. And then other than that, and just the normal, you know, I'm all over Twitter and Instagram <laughs> and stuff, but um. But I have been teasing, in fact, I haven't really said this publicly yet, um, but I've been teasing a couple ideas and one of, in terms of writing another book, because I just, my mind mm-hmm. is just busy right now. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I've been thinking about is actually a book on um, reparations. And so, oh. so that could be a project. I'm, it's not guaranteed yet. Um, no, that's okay, but things. that's in, it's intriguing yeah. to think about that. Yeah. And so I've been thinking about like, how can we, um, because it's just, I think the conversation, again, is just another area where the conversation is pretty um, weak right now in the church and somehow reparations has become a secular thing. And it really, I mean, it's a deeply biblical concept. Um, yeah, and indeed. so, and, and certainly as certainly my new book um, for who will be a witness shows, um, there's a lot from the, from the scriptures as it relates to economics and thinking about um, economic disparities and injustice in our world. And so we've yeah. got to think about that as it relates to reparations as well. Indeed. That well said. I, I, uh, I would look forward to that book too, because I think that um, Christians, sometimes when they hear things about money, they get afraid. And sometimes, yeah. especially in our capitalist world, 
uh, that somehow we're um, invoking, uh, I don't know, a socialist or Marxist kind of agenda. But there's a lot in the scriptures, as you just said, about economics, about how Christians should view and use their money. So, yeah, that's good. Well, keep on thinking about that. Um, Well, you mentioned that you're uh, on social media. How can people find you on social media? Yeah, so you can find me at Drew Hart, D-R-U-H-A-R-T, for both Twitter and Instagram. You can find me on Facebook, and I have a Facebook author page as well. Um, I have a website, DrewGIHart.com. And like I said, you can find me through the Inverse Podcasts, wherever... uh, you know, podcasts are found. And my two books, uh, Trouble I've Seen, Changing the Way the Church Views Racism, and Who Will Be a Witness, Igniting Activism for God's Justice, Love, and Deliverance can be found anywhere where books are sold. All right. Awesome. Well, thanks again, my brother, and God bless you. Thank you. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who continue to support Ing Podcast. We'd like to thank Everence, a faith-based financial services organization, for their ongoing support of Ing Podcast. Today's episode was also supported by Mosaic Mennonite Conference, a community of congregations and nonprofit ministries committed to living like Jesus together in our broken and beautiful world. Find out more at mosaicmennonites.org. If you enjoyed today's show, leave us a review and share the podcast with your friends. Do you have a topic or someone you think should be interviewed on Ing Podcast? Let us know by emailing theing at menomedia.org. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Today's show is produced by me, Ben Weidman. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.